seven signs that they are a miracle. And when Jesus does a miracle, he's saying something about who he is. And there's always a moment in every one of these seven miracles that he does that are called signs where he is saying something like this. It is I, it is he that speaks to you. There's a revelation of who Jesus Christ is. And that's really the true purpose of all miracles and signs is as a revelation of who Christ is where we did not know it before. And when Jesus here is in John chapter 9 and he is talking here with this man that was born blind, and this is one of my favorite chapters in the book of John because what we see happening is, is that we see this man who is born blind caught in this crossfire between Jesus and the Pharisees and the disciples and the Jews. And just the man's, this man who is born blind, his rhetoric, his conversation is just brilliant, brilliantly simple. And there's 41 verses here that we didn't read because um, of time. But we see here in this chapter, in chapter 9, uh, three types of blindness that I'd like to talk about. Number one, we see the blindness to the meaning of suffering and pain. We see that the disciples don't understand pain. They're asking questions, and I love it. I love that the disciples have the honesty and the freedom to ask a question and not feel belittled or feel that there was a bad question. The second kind of blindness that we see is the spiritual blindness that the Pharisees had. The Pharisees had a spiritual blindness to their own condition. They didn't understand their condition. And number three, we see a physical blindness, of course, that this man uh, that was born blind, that he had, and how he was healed to truly see. So let's look at the first one, the disciples. And I love how this begins, because this, is, this, this conversation that Jesus has with the disciples uh, is really a conversation that I think that many of us could experience. Jesus here is being asked why. Why is this man born blind? And the word why is always associated to um, suffering and pain. And here the disciples are assuming an answer. You ever talk with someone that's asking a question and there's an assumption, there's a direction, the conversation is being led to an assumption that they have in their own mind. And so the, dis the disciples are saying, have the parents sinned? Now, this is really not an outrageous question because uh, there was a there was a sexually transmitted disease in those days, and I'm sure today as well, that was passed on to the child and could cause blindness. And so when there was blindness, sometimes, many times, that was a question, uh, did the parents sin? Was someone unfaithful? And so the disciples here are asking, they're asking Jesus, and really they're, they're saying, Rabbi, I know the King James says master, but they're saying, Rabbi, teacher, and so they're talking to the teacher about some information that they have, and they want some more information from the teacher. And so Jesus is, they're asking, who sinned, the, the parents, or did the man sin, or did the child sin before he was born? And there's a verse in Psalm 51, verse 5, it says that, in my womb, Psalm uh, 58, verse 3, also saw, alludes to this, that the child was conceived, David said, I was conceived in sin. I was born in sin, and before I was born from my mother's womb, I was already in a sinful state. And so the disciples are saying, like, whose sin caused this 
this pain, this suffering. And because this is the philosophy that we see in the world that we live today, and I think we have to be as careful as Christians that we don't adopt this. And it's so easy to think this way, that when we see someone suffering, the first thing that we say, those of us that have our life really together, those of us that are a little bit self-righteous and maybe a bit arrogant, we look at other people's suffering and we say, they must have done something wrong. Or their parents must have done something wrong. Or they're growing up in a culture or a country or a society that is, that is, that is cursed by God and therefore they are living in this trouble. And we kind of just shrug it off and we say, well, that's their plot. That's their plight in life. But Jesus' answer here, and by the way, this kind of thinking is really proud. It's really pride. And I see it in my life, and I'm sure you can see it in your life at times, where it's a type of thinking of self-reliance, self-righteousness on the part of us that are doing really well. And what we're thinking is this. Why is it the sufferer's fault? Why do we think this way? Because we want to think this way as a form of self-defense that I want to assure myself, I want to look at other people that are hurting, that are having trouble, and I want to assure myself that I am not going to be in that position because I'm in control of my life. I've done everything the right way. I've done everything the way it should be in the systems of the society that I live in, that I'm doing everything right, and that's not going to happen to me because we do things differently. And we know that's not true because we're not in control of this world that we live in. We're in, we're in a world that is out of control. And so Jesus says, neither. I love that. Don't you love those kind of answers that God, you know, remember Joshua's, he, you know, he's about ready to begin his campaign as a leader of the children of Israel into the promised land. And he sees, a, he sees the angel of the Lord standing in all of his glory with his sword drawn, with his sword drawn. And he comes up to him and he says, are you for us or against us? And what is the answer? No. No. Why? Why is that? Because Jesus Christ here is thinking, and just really focus with me here, okay? Because um, I'm not going to speak long this morning, I, I hope. But Jesus here is thinking and talking on another level. He's talking on another level than, than we think and um, function in our little world of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is a cursed tree, by the way. So much of Christianity and so much of our thinking and so much of the world that we live in is based on this cursed tree. There's good, well, that's really great, and then there's evil, well, that's really bad. And, there, and, and, and if we live at that tree, and if we're living in just moral goodness and moral badness, I'm doing great today, tomorrow I'm not doing great, we live in this pendulum that just kind of goes back and forth. And we're doing great one day, and then, you know, next week we're not doing great, we're going back and forth. And when we live at this tree of the knowledge, of the information of how things are great and how things are bad, then it's just a cursed tree and there's no life and we experience spiritual death. That's a tree that we could fellowship at our, in our marriage. That's a tree that we could fellowship in our business. That's a, that's a tree that we could eat from in our personal life, the way we look at our future, the way we look at the world that we live in. This world, this whole world is based on that tree. They're living in the knowledge of good things and bad things. You just turn on the news, whether you're conservative or not. You turn on the news, you're going to see the news is steeped in this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There's the good guys, and oh, there's the evil guys. You know, there's the evil person. Well, that political leader is evil. Well, um, I digress. 
the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is not the tree that we've been called to eat from. We're, we've been called to eat from the tree of life, which is Christ. Right? It's the cross, as we sang about earlier today. It's the cross of Jesus Christ. And Jesus says neither. Because there is something that Jesus has in mind. He says neither, but that the works of God might be manifest, might be revealed. That, might, that God is going to do something that's going to surprise everyone. The disciples have in their mind in Luke chapter 13, verses 2 through 5, uh, an event that had happened, and it's really shortly mentioned in those verses. It's a bit of a mystery of what happened, but the disciples here are referring to a tragic event that happened in the, near, the, near the area of Siloam. And there was an event where many people had died. Later on in that chapter, chapter 13, there, Jesus is also referring to a time when a tower had fallen down on top of, um, I think it was 18 people that died. And the disciples are asking in that same question, the people are asking the same question, were these worse sinners that this tower fell down on top of them? Did you ever ask yourself that question? Like, what did they do wrong? Maybe we haven't done it consciously. And Jesus says, he says basically the same thing, neither, but he says, repent, lest the worst thing than that happens to you. Now, what does he mean by that? Why is he saying, you know, repent, lest the worst thing happens to you? And what he's saying is this, is that, guys, you're thinking in terms of right and wrong. You're thinking in morality. You're thinking that people's individual sins cause individual suffering in their life. And that may be in the world that we live in, but not in the kingdom of God. We live in a world that's broken and fallen. And the human race is really experiencing what we deserve because we wrecked our world. Our parents, Adam and Eve, wrecked our world that we live in. And we're living in the results of that. But Jesus Christ comes back and says, you and I can't think that way about self-righteousness, self-reliance. Um, I'm in control of my future. And we are. There's a, Of course, there is the need for um, pre-planning. And, and we all understand that. And I'm not saying that we don't do that. But there is this self-righteousness that we could come to the table with and say, you know what, secretly in our mind we wouldn't say it, but we would say they are, they are failing, they are hurting, they are in trouble because they must have done something wrong. And that's what Job's friends said to him. And this is what, and Jesus is saying, stop thinking that way. Stop thinking that way. Because if you do, then, then we are going to, because we all, we all deserve to have towers fall on us. We all deserve to die of leprosy, or we all deserve, as a human race, every one of us, no matter where we live and where we're from, we deserve to reap the consequences of the broken world that we live in. Why? Because there's something higher. Jesus wants to have the conversation with his disciples on another level. He wants to help the disciples to understand that pain and suffering is allowed by God because God has a surprise. Okay, and this is the main point here. God has a, Jesus has a surprise for his disciples that they don't even realize. That this event is happening, that this man here is blind because God has a purpose. Nowhere and ever has there ever been a man that was born blind healed. And we see this in the book of Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah said, the blind shall see and the dead shall be raised from life. This is what's going to happen here in this chapter has never happened in history before. And so the disciples are... The disciples are challenged to think outside of the right and wrong. Number two, the Pharisees, they, they suffered a, a type of blindness because 
and it's just almost kind of remarkable if you sit down and read the conversation. Uh, this this man who is just very simple, he's, he's healed, and he's walking around. He was healed on the Sabbath. The Jews asked him, what happened? Is this, is this the guy that was begging for bread, you know, begging, and now he's healed and he can see? And he says, yeah, that's me. And they said, what happened to you? Well, I was blind, and a man by the name of Jesus came and healed me. And they say, who is this man? I don't know who he is, and I don't know where he is. And this conversation begins, how can you be healed on the Sabbath? And it's funny, isn't it, when we, when we live in this, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we live in this kind of spiritual death, spiritual blindness, we can't rejoice when a work of God happens. It bothers us, right? And there's so many examples of that in the Bible where, where these men that work all day get paid the same amount, the same amount of money that the guy that works for one hour. And because Jesus said, do you call my eye evil, that I'm showing good. It's like there's an infection in the eye, a spiritual eye where, where there's this jaded, cynical look at things. And I think that as, as we grow older, and there's nobody old in this room, but as we grow older, we need to guard our hearts and guard those sweet waters that so we don't lose that, that belief that God is good and that God can do great things in the lives of people that don't deserve it. But Jesus says, do you call, my, you call me evil because I show good? And they were saying, yeah, you're evil because you showed good. And it's because of spiritual blindness. And the Pharisees here, the Pharisees are, they, they, have, this, they have this blindness. They have no idea who Christ is. Um, Jesus is talking here in John chapter 9 about a sight that goes beyond what we can see. This is a sight that, you know, we have five senses. But we have a sense that goes beyond that. And one of them is a, is a sense of, of justice and a sense of other things. And, and, and when Jesus is talking about spiritual blindness, it's a, it's a blindness that is really lacking the understanding of what is grace and what is sin. The Pharisees and the disciples are really just stuck at this place. The Pharisees didn't see that they were sinners. And it's, it's actually possible that you could talk to somebody that says, well, yeah, I'm a sinner, but not really understand what that means. Not to really understand the reality of, of how broken they are and how, how much they are needy for God and how much they need Christ. But it wasn't, it's not really until the Holy Spirit opens our eyes, quickens our hearts and our minds to understand that our st- what our state is. But when the Holy Spirit comes into our life, He quickens us and He gives us this understanding in our mind of the deep depravity of how deeply depraved we are and how much grace of God is in our lives. This is what we call conviction. The Holy Spirit beginning to work into our lives. And this is what causes sight. And I want to take a minute here and explain this because there is a sight that goes beyond physical sight. There's a foresight. Like when we can look at our future, if you were to look at your past, maybe 10 years ago, you could probably say, I wish I had done things differently knowing what I know today. And that is called wisdom. When we understand the wisdom from the Holy Spirit, wisdom that comes from the Word of God. This wisdom gives us understanding and foresight about things that we don't know yet, we haven't seen yet. And we see this here with the man that was born blind. The man that was born blind in verse 35 through 38, let's just look at this again. Jesus heard that he had cast him out. And isn't that interesting? Because as I studied this this morning, it's fascinating to see how many times Jesus hears about someone being cast out or someone being rejected or seeing someone that's like blind Bartimaeus or 
um, Levi, the tax collector in a tree. Jesus kind of pursues these people. Jesus pursues, he goes to the guy that's at the, he's, at the, he's the paralyzed guy at the pool. And he goes to him, because the, the man, as we saw earlier this, uh, this month, it was a man that had no help, and that's why Jesus goes to him. And Jesus seeks out people, and a great work of God happens in this man's life, and then Jesus goes and seeks him out. That's why it's important for us sometimes to go back, to kind of circle back and just check in with people. When something happens in their life, just check back. Jesus takes his time and he looks and he seeks him out and says that he found him. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of God? Listen to this conversation, verse 36. And he answered and said, who is he, Lord, that I might believe in him? He uses the word Lord. And this is not just like sir, like we would say here. Yes, sir. But he's saying something here. There's something already he understands. Who is he, Lord, that I might believe in him? Jesus said, you have both seen him. Wait, you've both seen him. What is he talking about? Past tense. When did he see, when did the blind man see Jesus? He's pointing, Jesus is pointing to something that had happened before he got his sight. And it is he who is talking to you. Then he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. What happened here? This is my opinion, and this is what I think happens. You have a man that's blind, and then Jesus spits into the dirt. And he makes, this, he makes this mud, and he anoints his eyes. And that is really the main point here of this message, that the simple message I want to bring across to you this morning, is that this mud, this dirt, speaks of our earthiness, doesn't it? We are, we are made from the earth. We are made from the dust of the earth. And this water, as, as, as Mike prayed this morning earlier, uh, several times he said living water, and that's what this is right here. Jesus spits. And he spits, and this is this living water from Jesus Christ, and he mixes it with the dirt. What is that? It's a picture of Jesus Christ, the Son of Man. It's a picture of the living waters of God mixed with earthen vessel, broken, dirty, a cursed earth. Our earth is broken because of Adam, and it's mixed. And it's mixed, and it's this muddy, it's this muddy um, mix, and he anoints the eyes. And what does he say? He's not healed immediately. And this, two things are happening in this in this story here is that number one a man's getting his sight but something else is also helping happening he is getting sent he's being sent he anoints his eyes and there's an anointing in Christ's life when you think about Jesus Christ the living waters and who he was the the the, the son of man he was 100% human without sin 100% God and here he's anointing this man's eyes and he says go to Siloam he sends him. And I was thinking about this last, last Sunday with our teenagers. And I was thinking that when we understand, when everything seems to be dark in our life, we don't understand the grace of God, we don't understand how much God is for us. We're trying to figure things out in our life. God anoints our eyes with something. And that's a calling. God gives us a calling. He calls us. He calls us. And it's not some calling to volunteer to do something. It's a sacred calling. It's a high and holy calling. It's a calling where he speaks and then he anoints our eyes. And he says, I'm sending you to a place that you don't even know about. Abraham had a calling and he had no idea where he was going. He was called to go into a a land to find a, a city in whose maker was God. And he says this to his wife and they're trying to have a baby and he says, honey, we're gonna go west. Where are we going? And how are we going to have a baby on the way? You know, like this, there's no way that we could travel and, and get pregnant. Honey, we're going to go by faith. 
And this man goes by faith, only by the words he hears. He doesn't see Jesus. He doesn't understand who Jesus is. He, he, is, he gets a word. He's got this clay in his eyes, and it's kind of weird, and he's walking by faith in a direction that Jesus told him to go. And as he goes, what happens? He gets healed. This is the call of God in our life. When God speaks to you and I, he gives us an eternal purpose, a purpose that's bigger than the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's bigger than, oh, are you qualified to do that? Probably not. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 7, we talked about this Wednesday night, that Paul said his diploma, of his Bible school diploma, I think was Ephesians chapter 3, I was made a minister by the gift of the grace of God. And I don't know what you think about yourself today. I don't know if you're discouraged or if you feel down about yourself. Maybe you had a rough week. Maybe things didn't go as well as you wanted to. But you and I have a calling in our life that goes way beyond the purposes of people. It goes beyond the rhetoric of, of the religious mafia and the religious, and the religious racket that goes on. That we and, you and I have been called. And as we go in that calling, we're like, aha, I'm getting it. I see it. I'm seeing things. I'm getting a rhema. I'm seeing something. And this word sight that's being used here, H-O-R-A-O, I believe it is, is in the Greek, means a sight that comes, it's a realization of something. You know, there is so much sight that can come into a person's life when they understand things that are going on from Jesus' perspective. We may not understand everything that's happening, but our sights, our realization is that Christ has called me, that God has a plan for my life, and that his thoughts towards me are good and they're not evil, and that God's going to organize, he's going to order my steps and I'm going to be, and I have peace with God because God's not thinking evil about me. And because of that, we have this calling. And as we go by faith in this calling, we see things that we wouldn't have seen. My question here is, have we had our spiritual sight given to us? And the question here, the crux of the question here is Jesus says to um, the man born blind, he says, do you believe on the Son? Some scripture, some manuscripts have the Son of Man, some have the Son of God. And I think it really could be, uh, that the Son of Man could also be understood because here's God in man. Here's God as a man. Do you believe in this? Do you believe that God, that God, the Holy God, could, could, could fill, a, a, fill a man like Jesus Christ and also fill you with made out of just broken dirt and that God could feel, do you believe on the Son of Man, Jesus Christ? Do you believe on Him? And if you do, He says here, yes. How does He say that? He says, who is He, Lord, that I might believe Him? And Jesus said to Him, you have seen, both seen Him and He's the one that's talking to you. And He said, Lord, I believe. And He worshiped Him. This is true sight. You know, for some people, some of us, I mean, we have all this information, but we really need to see things in action. We can have so much information about God, but we really need to see God. We can have so many Bible verses loaded up, but we really need to have a rhema, of revelation from God about what He's doing in our circumstance. And when we do that, um, our eyes are open. Remember Adam and Eve in the garden? Lucifer, or the serpent, comes to him, comes to them and says, if you eat of this apple, your eyes will be opened. Well, actually, when their eyes were opened, their eyes were closed spiritually. And when Jesus Christ comes into our life, he's opening our eyes. And he's giving us sight about things that we don't understand. He's, he's releasing us from our blindness. Saved people, 
that have had their eyes open are not the ones that are good, but the ones that admit that they are not good and lean on Christ for their righteousness. And without trouble in our life that rocks our world, it's hard for us to see Christ. The deepest blindness, I think, in the world is the blindness to our own blindness. Does that make sense? It's called deception. And there's no remedy and there's no healing for that. I want to I want to just I want to just kind of wrap it up with this and a little bit kind of digression but late last night and early this morning when I woke up this was really on my heart and I felt like I wanted to just communicate this with you when we have our eyes open okay just be done in 5 minutes just focus with me okay when we have our eyes open we realize that we are not first physical people. We're not first physical beings. Uh, we are not just soulish beings, but we are spiritual. And the world that we live in is not first physical. Our, the world that we live in is spiritual. What you and I do, the lives that we live, are not first physical, but it's spiritual. Every conversation, every relationship that we have, and we heard Kim say it, is a, is a conversation, it's a relationship that must be first spiritual. Because behind every word that we say, every word that we say, there's a kingdom behind that word. And it's uh, Matthew chapter 12, verse 36, it says that any idle word, and the word idle there means any word that doesn't, that's not synchronizing with the grace purpose of God is going to be judged. And so every word that we say represents a kingdom, whether it's my flesh or the kingdom of Satan, or the kingdom of God. I want to say this, is that Ephesians 2, verse 2, um, Satan is the prince of the power of the air, right? Air is his arena. Air is his dominion. It's where he's ruling, the air. And what air is that? It's, it's the air between people. It's the air, be- it's the air on a quantum level. It's the air that, is, that can be the, un- the unspoken or unseen air between people. You ever have someone say, I just feel like there's air between us? And the devil in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2 says, this is my realm. And what he does in the air is he'll, he'll develop a thought in John chapter 8. He'll develop a lie. He's the father of all lies. This is what the devil does. He'll create a lie in his head, and then he'll project it at you or project it at somebody else like a fiery dart in Ephesians chapter 6. And then he'll say, you thought that thought. When you didn't think it, it's just the devil sent it into your head or tried to put it in your heart. And what he does is he, he creates a lie, he sends it to you, it hits us, and we're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I thought that thought. And then we start condemning ourselves, or we start living in temptation, or we start living in strife, or we start living in subjectivity, because we accepted a thought that came from the prince of the power of the air, and we didn't discern it. And this is so important. I want us to understand this as a church, as a body. Please, understand this. And I don't know, I, there's, there's nothing that I know of, there's no situations that I'm referring to here, but it just came to my mind late last night, is that the devil would love to send projections into people's minds about other people. Okay? The devil wants to send projections in your mind about somebody else in the church or somebody else in your family. The devil wants to send projections in your head about your spouse or about your kids. All right? The devil wants to do that. He wants to create a lie, and he wants to put it in your head, and he wants to say, you thought that. And then we start cultivating this thought. It's called projection. 
what do we do? We need to discern Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are spiritual. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. Discern the spirits. When someone says something to you, learn how to exercise yourself in discernment. We are a happy group of people. We have a lot of fun together. We really do. I love, I love coming to church. I really enjoy everyone that's here, uh, new people coming. I just really enjoy our time. But what we have to guard is, is that we don't entertain thoughts that are not from God about other people. Because that's how the devil sowed seeds of, of, of division. You know why churches split? You know why people get into the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in a church and somebody does something bad or does something good and there's a division? Do you know why that is? Because maybe five years earlier, ten years earlier, the devil started sowing seeds in people's minds that we did not discern and that we didn't cast down. You know? Any thought that's not God's thought about another person, we just say, you know, that's not God, how God thinks about that person. And guess what? We may need to cast it down 45 times a day, but just keep casting it down. Why? Because this is how, you know how we truly love each other? This is how we truly love each other. Not that we buy each other the best presents that we wanted or that we do nice things, but the way we truly love each other in the Lord is that we guard our unity, that we endeavor to keep the unity, that when something comes up in a conversation or a thought, it's not God's thought. Learn how to not passively think, but learn how to think with God, God's thoughts about people. Pray for people. And this is really the, this is really how it works. I know this is a little bit different than what we had started with, but pray for one another. When you and I pray for each other, we're not getting projections about people. You know, we're not getting projections about each other. Because we're praying for them. And when we pray for people, uh, one of, there's a couple here, and we were talking, they've been married a very long time, a couple weeks ago, and I said, what's the secret? And they said, the Bible is in the middle of our fellowship. We're humble, and we pray. We pray together. And that kind of a relationship, that kind of a church, just cannot be divided. Because when we cast down thoughts that are not of God about each other, then we're guarding our unity, and we're guarding our value. We're going to become the thing, and I'm going to close with this, we're going to become the thing that we worship. If I worship my career, if I worship my success, if I worship the things that I've acquired, then I become blind to those things. Does that make sense? I become blind to those things. If I have a career, if I'm doing something, we're in ministry, if I'm in ministry, and I worship what I'm doing in ministry, then I'm going to become blind to that. And when, when something needs to be corrected or adjusted, Jesus will come like he comes to the Pharisees, and we're going to say, nope, that's not a problem. What are you talking about? I don't see that because of spiritual blindness. And when, we, when, we, when the man here sees Jesus, he said, Lord, I believe, and he worships him. Worship always brings us to a place where we discover our self-worth. We see Christ, and we discover who we are. The man who lives in worshiping his career or his, his accomplishments, these things can, he derives, we derive our self-worth from those things. And when they, when they, fall, when they fall apart or when it breaks or when, because of something that's in the world that we, that, you know, the broken world that we live in, when it falls apart, then our self-worth begins to be affected. And that's because God allows those things so that the works of God could be revealed. And that is so that we can understand how God sees us, how Jesus sees this blind man. And he says, he says, I believe. And he worships him. What a beautiful scene right there. What a band.
I love poetry. You guys, I've told this to you guys a few times, but I love reading poetry, old, old hymns. Break open some old, like, hymnal books that just may not be in print anymore. And I have some in my library at home, and sometimes I read them. There's this one line that I heard this past week by a poet named Anita Matthias, and she wrote this about Mary. And this is kind of Mary's song, Mary the Mother of Jesus, talking about her own walk of faith in understanding the plan of God for her to bear Christ. And she writes this, Blind in my womb to know my darkness ended, brought to this birth for me to be newborn. And for him to see me mended, I must see him torn. This is where healing comes in our life. When we see Christ torn for us, when he was torn for us, when he was torn for all of our foolishness, not that we live in condemnation, but we see that he was torn for that. The goal of God in us, in our life, is not that we stop sinning, that we become perfect. That's the moralist. That's the Pharisee's gospel. But the goal of God in our life is that we would see Christ. Because if we see Christ, if we're looking at him, if we're gazing upon him, if we are, if we are worshiping him, then what will happen is, is that this releases us from the power of sin, that releases us from the power of blindness in our life. And then we see things the way they truly are. If we see Christ, if we allow him to quicken us, to have divine perspective of our life, then we're not going to be walking around with questions in our mind, what is happening in my life, what's going on. We're going to be sustained by the Lord. He's going to carry us. He's going to lift us. He's going to move us forward. And that's what we see him do with the blind man who gets us to sight. Because it's, it's, a, it's a gospel of water and mud. It's not this high and lofty gospel, but it's a gospel where Jesus speaks, he spits, he, mix it, he mixes it, he mixes his saliva with the, with, the, with the earth, and he anoints the eyes, and he gives us a calling in our life. And we start walking by faith in a direction that we would never, ever understood. I want to talk more about that another time, but let's bow our heads and just close this time with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you.